Military Veterans in Journalism proudly presents Sword and Pen. Good morning, afternoon, or evening. My name is Drew Lawrence. I'm your host today for Sword and Pen. We have a very special episode where we have two people on, Allison Erickson and Tim Leonard. I'm going to hand it over to them um, in a second, but I just want to thank you guys both for coming on and sharing your experiences and and helping the community uh, grow through what you've learned um, in the process and in the newsroom. So thank you. So Tim, I want to go to you first. And if you could just kind of Give us a little bit of your background, where you came from in the military, and where you're at now in your newsroom. Yeah, so I was uh, infantry, joined the Army in 2009, ended up stationed in Italy, kind of lucked out there. Uh, did four years, decided uh, actually while I was in the, uh, while I was deployed, I was reading the journalist, and by reading him, that kind of inspired me to be like, when I get out, I want to go into journalism. So I kind of knew right off the bat, like, as soon as I got out, I was going to use my GI Bill and go into journalism. Uh, ended up in Reno, Nevada, went to the UNR Journalism School. And while I was there, I kind of did a bunch of stuff, but I fell in love with video production. So started working on a lot of video stories and documentaries and stuff like that, and actually started working even before I graduated. So I kind of flowed into the freelance documentary space rather than necessarily journalism. But... Um, then COVID happened, uh, all my jobs dried up and uh, started looking around for uh, journalism jobs again, that more traditional journalism. And that's when I found MVJ. That's, uh, and they got me hooked up with uh, the fellowship that got me to, so I got to create a position at the Nevada Independent for a video producer. So starting last year, I kind of built the idea of doing like videos for their, you know, state focused newsroom politics kind of stuff. But my job was kind of how do I translate the stories that they're already doing and that kind of coverage into uh, videos. So that's what I've been doing for the past year. Allison, I want to turn it over to you and and same question um, about your background and how you got into news. Sure. Um, I call myself an army brat. Both of my parents were active duty enlisted. Um, My mother spent the last half of her um, active duty career at Fort Sam Houston. So I really grew up um, in a military family and in a military community. Um, I focused early on on wanting to write. It was one of the things that I gravitated toward more naturally. Um, And I did it was not a nerdy thing to do at my school to do JROTC. So I was a little cadet uh, walking around and that actually led me to my ROTC scholarship. So I'm the first in my family to get um, an officer's commission. And I did ROTC, Army ROTC at uh, Texas Christian University studying under the umbrella of communications, um, news editorial journalism. Um, I thought at the time that I could commission and then become a public affairs officer Um, which you can do in the Navy and the Marines. You can directly commission into those branches. The Army is a little bit different. You can still do public affairs, but only really as enlisted initially. Um, And then you have to serve six years first as um, an active duty officer before you can transfer over to PAO. So I had to choose something. 
And I chose Medical Service Corps because my mom had been medical and Fort Sam Houston was home. So I thought at least when I do trainings, I'll go home. Um, and I did next to nothing that was um, closely related to journalism or communications. I did a lot of hospital administration, logistics, operations. Um, and I knew that I had not let my gift grow, if that makes sense. My interest area in writing and communications was still very much there. Um, so when I left active duty in 2018, I was actually still a little bit inactive duty, but on um, uh, what is that final leave that you have? I took a ton of it. I took, terminal. Yep. My terminal leave. I had like 90 days of terminal leave, saved it all. And I um, started a master's program in New York. That was like a fun blend of it's called creative publishing and critical journalism out of the new school. And I wanted that experience too, because I'd grown up in a very conservative environment. And if you know anything about the new school in New York, it is the opposite of conservative. <laughs> um, so I like to say that I've lived on both ends of the spectrum and hopefully I find a happy medium in between and that it helps my reporting. Um, I had a similar um, thing as, as Tim, although I didn't get employed properly in a newsroom. Um, I was freelancing for a bit and then the pandemic hit and everything just became difficult. I couldn't get um, fellowships. I couldn't get internships while I was still technically a student. Everything just sort of was swept from underneath me. Um, and I found MBJ at, I guess, closer to the tail end of 2020 when it was just starting. And I said, I need to make myself join as many professional organizations as I can. Even if I didn't want to identify myself as a veteran anymore, I was going to do it. And I am so glad that I did. And Allison, you're now at the Texas Tribune. Can you tell us a little bit about what that experience is like? And, and when did you join? Um, I started this fellowship. It's a hybrid um, fellowship here with MBJ and Texas Tribune, half paid by both parties. Um, it started August 15th of this year and will end sometime mid-February of 2023. Um, and it's been great. I, I don't know how to explain like there's no other publication that I would want to be doing this type of work for right now. Um, the Texas Tribune is incredible as a nonprofit news organization. And then the staff and the team here is also incredible. Um, in, in fact, I was actually rather intimidated when I actually got the fellowship. I know I applied, but actually getting the fellowship is, is something else. And I really felt sort of like that weight of that call to service again. Um, which is how I view my work in journalism anyway. But um, it's fast paced. It's well thought. Um, everything here has like an, like a tight and integral purpose. There's very little fluff. Um, if there is fluff, it was an accident. <laughs> like uh, there are no unintentional oopsie stories there. Everything has a meaning and a purpose all of the Tribune's stories are free to access uh, and free to republish. So their reach is enormous. Um, and I'm just happy to be here. I don't, I don't know how else to express uh, the gratitude I have for being able to even break in a beat. I'm the first military and veterans affairs focused reporter that the newsroom has had. I'm also the only um, black woman veteran <laughs> in the newsroom. So I'm packing quite a punch, I think, while I'm here while still hoping to get the experience out of it that I need to grow my skills. 
And for both of you, you know, it sounds like when you had found MVJ, it was very similar for both of you, but for those listening, it might, they might be in a similar situation now. And Tim, I remember, you know, when we were first talking, you had, um, thought about actually not doing journalism at all before kind of finding MVJ. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience and, you know, finding MVJ and what it was like to actually jump in when you thought that you weren't going to do it? Oh, I mean, I lost count of how many applications I submitted to jobs. It was all over the place. It was for anything tangentially related to even my degree. It was PR. It was anything where you had to hold a video camera. You know, I was really desperate. Me and my wife love the area that we live. We love Reno. We love Northern Nevada. And we would be really sad if we had to move. So I was kind of looking everywhere for um, somebody that would hire a journalist. I was about to start applying for like warehouse jobs. You know, I mean, nowadays they don't pay too bad. I used to do that before I joined the army. So I definitely crossed my mind. And then I kind of, the MVJ fellowship to me was like a Hail Mary. I kind of said, well, this would be perfect if it works out. I didn't, you know, at that point I had had so many rejections. I didn't really have a lot of hope for it, but um, I still remember I was sitting at my buddy, sitting with my buddy at a coffee shop when I got the email from Rich uh, saying that I got that. And I almost couldn't believe it at first. I was reading him like, they must have sent this email to a wrong person or something like that. And so, and then it was like, what do, what do I do with it? Because the, the way the fellowship worked for me was, you know, I got the fellowship, but then I had to find like a place that would host me. Right. So luckily, and this is just through relationships I've maintained from college and stuff like that. Uh, I knew people who worked at the Nevada Independent and I knew that they would be open to me pitching them this idea of like, hey, you guys don't have a full-time video producer. Um, give me six months. Let me try it out. And hopefully you'll hire me at the end. And uh, that's what ended up happening. So, Allison, you uh, had a story that you wrote at the end of September, um, which followed uh, Rep. Sylvia Garcia. Um, she, that, that was a really great story. And, and the reason why I bring it up is because, you know, you, it was about, uh, healthcare. It was about veterans. You talked to, uh, it was about, you know, folks in Congress. And to me for the military beat, that's kind of the beauty of it, right? You can write or produce stories that kind of encapsulate those things. Do you get that sense when you're, you're covering the military beat for Texas Tribune? And, and can you tell us a little bit more about kind of the, the wealth and the breadth of stories that you've been telling for them? Sure. I get the sense of um, my voice being very important in illustrating a very underrepresented group here in Texas. Um, I think a lot of people, politicians in particular, are very quick to grab onto a military veteran and make it part of a message without really knowing what else is behind the scenes and veterans and their family members' lives. So um, one of the early things my editor and our, and our team worked out was, you know, who are the underserved people even within the veterans community? Uh, we've learned that Texas is, they're competing statistics, either number one or number two, it has the largest number of um, veterans within um, the country, um, either tied with or surpassing or just under California stats are constantly fluctuating. Um, but then within that margin, we have Texas um, veterans have the highest, fastest growing number of veteran women in the state and in the country. So are we giving that marginalized community 
the proper voice that it deserves. So that story that you saw with uh, Representative Garcia, no one else seemed to be really amplifying how big of a deal, um, you know, proper reproductive uh, healthcare access is for women, or in this case, cancer care um, for um, for women's cancer and gynecological cancers in particular. Um, so that story was something that I feel like a lot of people may not have initially paid attention to, but I grabbed it very quickly and said, look, hey team, this is our target demo. This is our underserved population. This is a Texas congressional rep. We need to talk about what they're representing for their constituents um, within the state of Texas. Um, Stories like that, I love. Those, those are kind of quick turns, but they add a sort of depth and a flavor to um, not just the ability to, to say, grab a veteran and, and make them part of your pulpit, but it gives that, that depth to the actual service and the actual needs of veterans behind the scenes. Um, I feel lucky in the sense that I've gotten to work on even like a, a veteran's, prof, like a feature story of um, one disabled veteran who um, essentially sued the Air Force one, but hadn't been paid and was getting um, essentially like evicted um, from his home. So that was fascinating to me. I had a hard time proving a Texas hook outside of it being uh, a, a Del Rio based location <laughs> where, where the, the incident happened. But um, I think stories like that are slowly bringing the humanity back into veterans instead of just the the talking pulpit points. Um, and I feel like a MVJ gave me that opportunity to start building that in. And I, I was joking um, with someone earlier. I said, you know, the Texas ledge is every two years, right? So their next legislative session is in January. And there's a slew of, we're in, we're in the midterm election season. So before primary voting, or early voting for the midterms, um, the politics team was just flooded with stories, right? And they're pushing politics, pushing politics, pushing politics. I had to taper my pitches to how is the Texas military system impacting the Texas legislative side. So I even did like a quick explainer on like, what is the National Guard in Texas? Like, what do they do? Um, this time last year, Tim, you had this really great video that you did for the Nevada Independent about, uh, I believe it was a uh, flag retiring ceremony, right? And that's like a very, very misunderstood um, process. Can you tell us what that story was and kind of like your process behind making it and why you wanted to, to tell that story? Yeah, that was an interesting story because it kind of came to me last minute. I wasn't really, I was still like starting out the um, fellowship. So I was still figuring out what what am I doing here? What kind of videos are we making? And that was an ex uh, a way. Before that, I was doing a lot of stories where I would talk to reporters. They would I would summarize their story in like a minute for like social media, and then add a voiceover to it. And that was kind of what I was doing. We've kind of moved away from that now, but um, so that was a, a good opportunity for me to like actually get out there with my camera and shoot a story where like I went out in the morning met with the veterans coordinator and uh, figured out what was going on, got to talk to all the uh, student veterans that were kind of putting on the event. And the cool part about it for me was I got to meet Vance Croyer, the guy who was the president of the student veterans. And he was just so well-spoken. He had this great speech about like, 
what Veterans Day is about and why, you know, it's important to retire the flag and think about what that means, what that having a moment of like quiet reflection of like, what does our country mean to us? And I think uh, one of my favorite quotes from him was something along the lines of uh, what maybe we need in this country is a little more moments of quiet reflection and less shouting at each other. And I just love that line. And so got to go out there, shoot a Veterans Day story and package it. I think I turned it around in like a day or something like that, which for me, you know, coming from documentary world, that was like, never done that before. So it was like a real great learning experience. And then I got, it actually got me involved in the veteran community that like I kind of shied away from even in school. And now I'm, you know, with MVJ and other organizations, I'm starting to kind of reintegrate myself into veteran communities and even led to another story I did for Memorial Day, where a group of veterans were uh, carrying dog tags across the desert in, in like a rock relay as kind of a way of remembering the soldiers and sailors, airmen, Marines that we lost in the last global war on terror. So fantastic story and really lucky I got to work on it. I, I think it's a common thread for, for a lot of people to kind of shy away from the, maybe the veteran community or covering the military beat or covering the the veteran beat. I, and I say this all with someone who's the same way, who also had that feeling when I was coming into, um, into the new space. But I want to I want to ask why you think that it's kind of common for veterans to want to shy away from it and what changed your mind now obviously cuz both of you have done stories on the military um you continue to do stories on the military um why why do you think you shied away in the first place and what changed your mind about covering those topics? For me I always kind of had because I was an army brat and then I was an ROTC cadet and then I was active duty I had never fully been a civilian. And I was hell-bent determined on making a mark in a way that was not necessarily military-affiliated, because no part of my life has not been military-affiliated. Even when I was in grad school, I paid for it with the GI Bill. Um, and at this point, I pretty much accepted that I'm just like a veteran through and through, and, and the military is a part of me. But there was a large um, period of time where I thought, you know, especially when you leave the military, there's, there are a lot of people that are like, you're abandoning the team. You're leaving everybody behind. And I'm, you know, that's not necessarily the case, especially if you're going on to continue to serve in a way that is purposeful to you, go pay taxes. Right. Um, but for me, it was those comments hurt. And I thought, you know what, I'm not abandoning the team. I'm going to do what I need to do. And I think the more I tried to do it on my own, the more I realized, you know, a lot of people that transition from even college into a career have a network of some sort that they're using. Maybe they've, you know, gone through um, a different fellowship internships while they were in school, or maybe they, um, they have connections with their classmates and they've built this network that helps them further themselves in their career. All of my connections, including the people that I grew up with, are military. And trying to strike out on my own without that support network, without any sort of buoy, was honestly not going very well for me. Um, I was doing okay, but for where I wanted to be in a career in journalism, I was not making it an, an 
in like a dent. I wasn't making the impact that I felt like I needed to and wanted to make um, over time. And, and I guess it was honestly around the pandemic. I just kind of sat down with myself and was like, who are my actual people? <laughs> who are the people that are in my corner? Um, no matter what, whether or not we agree on different perspectives or viewpoints, and I'm not saying I'm committing my entire life to military and veterans reporting, but I am never going to throw the baby out with the bathwater again. Like that, this, this is too much a part of, I think, who I am and, and part of my background and network for me not to use my community um, to further myself, both in my career and then in turn, give back to that same community. Yeah. And for me, I think I was worried about there's like a stigma, I think, associated with or people, maybe not stigma is the right word, but people make assumptions about you if you're a veteran, right? Like I didn't want to go, especially at college, I didn't want to go into it eventually just being old, you know, people figured it out. But like um, it, I didn't want people to like think that they had my whole, like who I was completely figured out because they, oh, you're a veteran. So then they have this like list of things, especially people that don't know veterans, right? Like people who actually know veterans know that it's like the most diverse community that there is. It's definitely from small town, Wisconsin, like the military is definitely the most diverse community I've ever been a part of. Right. But people that don't know veterans, they'll, they have like a, their assumptions, right? Like any group that you're not familiar with, you make a bunch of assumptions about them. And I think I was worried that, you know, if I, if I made that my whole, if I may be a veteran, like my whole personality, then I would get kind of like put in a box or like, you know, it might limit me. I mean, all this is wrong. This is just what I was thinking at the time. Um, and I think what brought me out of it was just actually meeting other, you know, veteran alumni, veteran organizations and talking to them and, and seeing that they are going through the exact same thing of like, I, I think a lot of the global war on terror veterans are in this kind of weird space where like, we don't go to VFWs, we don't go to, you know, as much as the other generations did. And so we're kind of trying to figure out where our place is in the veteran community. And so it's kind of new and awkward, but like, and I used to be maybe afraid of that. And now I'm like, I'm like all in, I want to join the organizations. I want to kind of build that new community together. No, I, I wanted to just like fully emphasize what, what Tim says, like underscore and highlight. Uh, there's so much truth to that. Like the, the people who make up the military are not a monolith. Everyone is individual, unique. They come to the military for different reasons, um, different levels of, of passion for what they do, different goals for their future, um, and different political beliefs, different um, ethnic makeup, everything. And it can be really difficult to get out and then, you know, have sort of the platitudes given to you like, oh, thank you for your service. But, you know, the people not really understanding what's behind it. And I think when I've seen really successful um, military transitioners that, that say didn't go, you know, straight into like working for that bank that everyone in the military works for, or, you know, that company. Um, I love seeing someone who is able to um, just make their own way. That said, I thought I would be able to do that very quickly on my own. And I do think I am making my own way in a way, but I now am using my resources in a way that I wasn't willing to in the past. So I'm, I'm just like, I'm grateful for also coming to my senses, <laughs> like lean on your support system. Your battles are still your battles, even if, um, 
you know, you don't see things the exact same way. They are the people that you've spent so much time with um, that know you kind of in and out and can see your passion for different things. I, I do want to note that, you know, through that experience and you turning kind of that hesitancy to do it, you've also brought really important military and veteran stories to um, specifically the local level. I, I'd be remiss if I didn't, you know, I'm talking to two local reporters here um, who are on on the local beats. I'd be remiss if I didn't bring that up. Um, and so, you know, Tim, I, I want to go to you first about being a veteran on the on the local beat. Yeah, I think, you know, and me and Allison are in similar positions where we're like, we do a lot of local stories, but we're technically a state newsroom. But especially in Nevada, like there's not there's not that many news organizations that especially that cover the rural areas, like a lot of the rural newspapers are completely uh, if left. They're total news deserts. So like newsrooms like the Nevada Independent, Texas Tribune can pick up where those newspapers kind of left off and tell those rural stories that wouldn't be getting told anymore. So I think uh, I'm, I'm passionate about local journalism. Like I, uh, I have a lot of respect for people who do national and obviously with like veterans affairs type stories, then national is going to have a lot more going on, right? There's going to be a lot more news. I think the interesting thing that I've found is that veterans don't, they end up in a bunch of places that maybe you wouldn't expect. Like, and when you're working in local news, you get to talk to like, you know, I've met, um, what was his name? I met a guy at, uh, I don't, I don't remember his name. Um, I met someone at uh, Nevada day parade who hosts like a, it's like a camp where they like teach survival skills and stuff like that for kids. And like, that was what he decided to do after he got out was create this like nonprofit little camp where people can send their kids kind of like boy scouts or something like that. And I was just like, you know, and we bonded like how I kind of introduced myself was like, he was wearing, I, you know, Nevada day for those of you who don't know, it's a big holiday where we celebrate founding of the state. And a lot of times veterans will be there and they'll be decked out in their, you know, veteran gear. So I, you know, bonded over the, the veteran thing, but then he told me like his story about like he was in Vietnam and then he got out and started this um, nonprofit where he, he just wanted to help kids. Like, I don't think, I don't think he makes a ton of money on it. He just like wanted to do something good. And I think stories like that are, I really like telling positive stories. I understand the, the role of journalism to like kind of the one thing a colleague of mine, and I think he's quoting somebody says is journalism is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And I think maybe sometimes we get a little too wrapped up in afflicting the comfortable. And sometimes I like to just tell stories about like kind of everyday people doing really nice stuff that maybe don't get recognition without news media being there. So that's my personal favorite thing about local journalism. Tim, I love that. Uh, I'm stealing it. Sorry. <laughs> it's been stolen, I think, a bunch of times right now. Good. Well, I'm stealing it again. <laughs> Allison, go ahead. I'm, I'm triple infinity stealing it. Um, Texas Tribune is, is such an interesting regional um, news organization in the sense that their po the political impact of what happens out of Texas affects the entire country. Um, and I don't think that that's an overstatement. I think if you pay close enough attention to U.S. politics, a lot's a brewing in Texas. 
And um, to keep up with Texas politics is, it's a lot of work. It's um, much more fast paced than I realized. Um, and they have real life consequences and effects on the people who live here. So this is a state that is changing rapidly demographically. Um, our uh, CEO who, who will be exiting at the end of this year um, just gave a talk this morning and, and he was mentioning how uh, the number of white people in this state has finally like gone down past 40%. So uh, white people are not a majority in the state. I think Hispanics are the majority. And then we have also growing numbers of um, Asian, um, Asian population in parts of Texas like Houston and Dallas and so on and so forth. So this state is actually, some of the laws do not reflect the makeup of what is actually on ground in Texas. And a lot of the reporting that's done here is to kind of keep tabs on both the change and the fairness of these changes. Like, are we moving fast enough? Are we giving resources to the right locations? What Tim mentioned with, um, you know, rural area newspapers, like going up in, in smoke, the same is happening in Texas. Or you're getting um, what used to be you know, nonpartisan unbiased journalism from small papers is now being bought out by other companies and distributing either extremely partisan information or going as far as um, disinformation and misinformation. It's a national problem. Um, and so I think right now, Texas Tribune is seeing its larger role in preserving democracy. And what I really love is they've, they've hired, I'm on a regional team, and they've hired um, a couple of different reporters to go out into more rural parts of Texas and report more rural stories so that you can see counties like, um, like Uvalde or Del Rio or um, towns that you've maybe never heard of because they're little you know, spots on the map, um, but like they're not part of the top five giant cities within Texas that make up some of the largest cities in the United States. So Texas Tribune is really special in that um, Texas is huge. It has um, a little bit of everything. The dynamics are changing rapidly and the politics are very aggressive. Um, so I like it because I'm always learning a lot. And I've been surprised at how much of my job has actually revolved around uh, deconstructing what's being said and done in DC versus what's happening on the ground in Texas. Uh, so it's it's been fascinating. Um, obviously, we tell people-centric stories, but because of the national impact, we go, I think, a, another layer deeper to get at the root of where these problems will go. How are they affecting policy? How are we going to get more civic engagement out of um, some of these issues? And Allison, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the uh, kind of taking the policies, you know, coming out of DC and and bringing it to your communities, and you know, I'd posit that it works the other way, obviously as well. I'm, I'm preaching to the choir, but for our our listeners that that don't know, I mean, there's an enormous responsibility for for your newsrooms because you're you know the touch point for the community up, and then um, for the community when things come down, you have to make sure that you you know it's it's relevant. Can you tell us a little bit more? of what it's like to have that responsibility and to kind of be like the litmus test for, test for both sides in reporting that two-way flow of information. 
Yeah, and in sense of um, my beat, the military and veterans affairs beat at Texas Tribune, I have seen so many great national stories that you know my editor will in turn look at and say, can you make this Texas specific? And what's been interesting is when you start at the DOD level, you need to contact people at the DOD level. Um, and then eventually you will, throughout that chain of communication, get to your region, your district, your state, um, your county, if need be. Um, and here at Tribune, they really like to have a person-centric story. Like, where is the human that's being affected by all this? So sometimes it's the opposite. I'll find a source and say, wow, this person has experienced a lot. Say, um, in a more sensitive topic, I'm working on some MST-related stories. Um, and starting from the ground up there, looking into policy, contacting uh, state and governmental authorities, and then linking it into national policies and changes. Very few of my stories have been quick because of how much up and down has to happen in order for the story to be correct, um, which has been both frustrating and also really rewarding because when a story is done, it is done. <laughs> um, it takes time and, it, and I think, honestly, the past couple of months or the first couple of months here at Tribune, I've spent a lot of time sourcing I, and I've reached out to different, um, you know, press secretary offices, public affairs. Uh, when I went to the MVJ conference, I met people who put me in contact with the congressional reps that they wanted me to look into for Texas. They, there's a whole network of up and down that is much faster once people know who you are. And for me, that literally started with plugging in three to five source phone calls a week, even if it wasn't story specific. It was this is my name. This is my voice. These are eventually questions I'm going to ask you. Um, and it does, it, it feeds up and down and sideways. And sometimes you get tips and you're like, I don't know what to do with this. And you work it over with your editorial team and you just start attacking it. So right now I have like a three page long beats, beat notes and about 70% of it is like slow simmer stories that are taking a lot of time to research and build those relationships and sourcing um, and the rest of it is what can I turn over quickly? And Tim, I want to go to you and kind of talk a little bit about the the medium that you work in, which is obviously video. But, you know, from my perspective, video is a, an absolutely unforgiving medium because obviously you have the visual aspect, you have the audio to contend with. And often, and I think you might have mentioned this to me before, but after you're done packaging that, the responsibility sometimes uh, is on the videographer to do a write-up as well for uh, the video. So there, there, you got a lot going on. Can you tell us a little bit about you know your specific process and how you kind of wrangle all of these elements to make a good story? Uh, yeah, I wish I had like a. I have a tentative process. It's been It's changed so much over the last year. Like you know. I never went to like a TV news station. I never got brought up in like the traditional model of like how to package a news story. So like a lot of it is just me kind of like figuring it out and trial and error and stuff like that. Right now, um, if I'm if it's a story I'm pitched, like where I'm like, hey, I want to do this story, then uh, yeah, I kind of do everything where I do all the pre-production, you know, where I ask everybody or I get all the interviews lined up and do all the research. And then I am the interviewer and I'm filming while I'm interviewing. And then 
follow somebody around, get B-roll shots, stuff like that. And then afterwards, I have to log all the footage, cut it up, edit it together, make a video. And then this always happens to me is I get to the end of my video and I'm like, oh, yes. In order for a video to live on our site, it has to have a written component too. So that's always like... I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a little out of practice for writing, right? Like I'm used to doing living in the video world. So that's always a little bit of a... So even right now, like I'm, I'm working on a story where I've kind of changed my process around where I, I actually, bef- in between the shooting and editing phase, I actually write my topper, which is actually kind of like, a, it's helping me organize how the video is going to flow together. And a lot of times the topper will be like more of the context and the research and the links to facts and stuff like that. Whereas the video is usually focused on... Uh, a smaller, more person-centric part of the story. So I'm kind of figuring it out uh, as we go along. We also do like um, one of my favorite things that we work on is uh, explainer videos, um, which is making a lot of graphics and, and stats and stuff like that. And we just did a video on the Colorado river, which is obviously a big story. Everybody's paying attention to, but Las Vegas has a very unique, position on the Colorado River. So me and our environmental reporter worked together on putting an explainer that would, you know, explain what's going on in Las Vegas, what they're doing differently than some other cities, and then packaging that into a video. So that was, but that's a completely different (laughs) workflow. So it's kind of, it's kind of all over the place, but that to me, that's part of the fun, right? Is that I'm kind of getting to figure it out as I go along, you know, reach out to people for advice on like, Hey, how do you, how do you run a video newsroom as, as a one man band? You know, in your experience in your newsroom, um, from coming from MVJ and, and what you're doing now, why, why was it important for your newsroom to, to get that diversity from MVJ and what have you brought to your newsroom in return? I believe that largely the reason why I am here at the Texas Tribune is because of MVJ um, and because MVJ's outreach efforts to create opportunities like this um, and the way that MVJ pitches the need to have veterans in newsrooms. Um, There was a while where I think MVJ was doing the inverse, which was like, we need to give veterans jobs who wants to help us. And then it was like, wait a minute media often gets veteran representation wrong and they don't understand the skill sets and the abilities that veterans can kind of uniquely bring to an organization when it's, you know, when, when they're really good and on task with their jobs. (laughs) And I had um, quite a few conversations leading up to this decision to even get into this fellowship and when I finally arrived, I realized this newsroom is already diverse in its own ways, but they lacked, um, for, for a state with the population as large as it has, they lacked the diversity that reflected um, the locations that they're reporting on. And I think that's extremely important. I'm also very happy to say that as of today, um, the new CEO was named uh, for Texas Tribune. She'll be starting January, 2023. And she is um, Asian American, based out of uh, from Houston. And there's something about an organization that stands up and puts, you know, a woman in color at the helm that really reflects the commitment to diversity in in many ways. So it's not just about looking across a room and seeing a sea of of melanin or um, gender diversity. It's also um, 
work diversity, work experience, uh, life experience differences. Veterans come from some of the most challenging backgrounds or they've had the most challenging experiences while on the job. Coming into a newsroom sometimes after being a military vet is in some ways like a walk in the park. I'm not discounting the work that needs to be done because it is hard work, but compared, right? (laughs) No, it is hard work. But what I'm saying is the, there's something about us having already had this primer of an essential job, of an essential uh, contribution to a workforce that we're already ready at that level. Some people don't yet know the severity of their work. And I think um, like, like how seriously their work can carry over and make an impact. And I think veterans that really believe that you know, they, they are serving a community I think they get that. I think we bring that to the table. So with that, how, you know, Tim, um, if, if you're talking to someone who's listening to that now and they want to know, Hey, after I get my foot in the door, you know, what are some things that I can do to make sure that I'm an asset to this news organization? What would you tell them? What are some things that you've done? I mean, I've learned a ton from my colleagues. Uh, we're still a relatively small newsroom. So I, I just don't hesitate to reach out. Like I, I don't, worry about looking stupid. I, I just say like, Hey, listen, I, I have been in documentary. I haven't been in the news world. So like a lot of this stuff doesn't make sense to me. And I ask for help, you know, I don't be, people like to help. I think there's a sense when you're asking for help that you're like a burden to somebody, but like anytime somebody comes to me and like wants to talk about like how to do video stuff, I'm like, I'm like, they can't get They're like, okay, actually not like, I, I can't talk enough about it. Right. So like, and that's what I think, people scare themselves out of asking questions that like, especially as a journalist, like get comfortable in that space of like, Hey, I don't understand this. Explain it to me because you'll kind of be living there. And it's just a great, you, you just get, it makes you get better. Like I've reached out to a number of people within MVJ and all of them have gotten back to me with like advice or like, Hey, look at this. Or like sent me to places where I can, you know, figure out what I, what I need to work on. Like, I think that is the most important aspect of, of getting better. So, I mean, it's the reason that my work has changed so much since I started is that I never like, I, I never sat around and said, okay, I got it. I'm like, okay, this isn't working. This is working. Okay. Move in this direction. And that's going to present problems and then have conversations and, and figure stuff out. Uh, join other professional organizations too. Like I'm a member, a big fan of uh, national press photographers association. If you're into like visual media, Highly recommend joining them. Great resource, great inspiration. Like seeing other people do really great work is always like, gets me like, okay, I want to top that or I want to be as good as this person, right? So stuff like that, I I find really motivating. And now finally, we've gotten to my favorite portion of the interview is where I get to ask uh, other journalists questions that they ask all the time at the end of an interview. And that is, is there anything that I didn't talk about or didn't ask you about that you'd want to talk to our audience about today? I have found that anywhere I have gone um, post-military, and even while I was in the military, I've always been a little bit of a, like a lonely only, right? I'm a, you know, multiracial black female veteran, Purple Heart um, officer. Whoa, what a unicorn, right? Like anywhere I've gone, I have not been able to not stand out. And it really used to bother me 
um, the idea that I was walking around shiny and I couldn't turn off my shine or however you want to describe it. Um, and you know, even in the military, you're walking around with your resume on your friggin' chest, right? So going back into the civilian world and sort of reinventing myself, but also at the same time being introduced, even in the MBJ, um, uh, the joint MBJ Texas Tribune uh, press release that I was coming on board and I saw all of my credentials listed and I just thought, oh God, that's so pretentious. And I, I hate everything about it. That's too much attention. It's too much expectation. And at some point I've gotten to this, this, uh, this level where I'm just like, you know what, that is part of who I am. That's part of my background. And I guess my reputation to an extent does precede me. I'm not planning on resting on my laurels, but when someone says, wow, you're so interesting. I now take that note as yes, but I'm much more than interesting. Um, it is always something you have to prove. You have to prove how good you are in every space, in every way, all the time. And you know what? Even if you are the lonely only, if you're the one person making that dent and making that difference, that could be your impact for life. I I don't know. I don't I don't know if your your main goal and mission in life is to like grow perfect tulips. Good for you. Um, sometimes I think some of us are like here in whatever space and capacity that we are because we're just that person. So um, if you're that vet, if if you're being touted as that lonely only. Um, I think it's okay to sort of accept that it's a thing, but know that you can show and prove who and what you are, despite what your past is. I know. I, I, I feel incredibly lucky is, is all I can say about, about doing what I do. And I feel responsible, I guess, is the other thing that like, if I, I'm the only veteran at the Nevada independent. I feel like to a certain extent, I got to represent the veteran community and show them like, we are not all the same. We're not your, your platonic ideal of veteran. You know, I have different views on a bunch of different things. So that's an asset. And it's not just like leadership or something that you might put on a resume. If you're a veteran, like you be yourself. That's what you bring as a veteran is who you are as a person, not like whatever bullet points they told you to put in a resume, like be honest with who is going to hire you and they'll see that and they'll gravitate towards it. Tim and Allison, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you to our listeners. Catch you next time. listening to Sword and Pen, a military veterans in journalism podcast.